0: Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Pasord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Bethlehem, Royal and Mawnsley Hospitals in South London. Today we're discussing a fascinating paper uh, published in the November edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry and it's published by Robert Shug with some co-authors and he's a neuropsychologist based at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. And the title of the paper is a bit of a mouthful, but it is Psychophysiological and Behavioural Characteristics of Individuals Comorbid for Antisocial Personality Disorder and Schizophrenia Spectrum Personality Disorder. So let's start off, Robert, by just describing the client group, because it's a slightly confusing client group you're focusing on, which is people with schizophrenia and antisocial personality disorder. That's a rather unusual group, isn't it?
1: and even more unusual is where we're, we're sort of focusing on, on community members so these are not uh, institutionalized or hospitalized individuals at all these are people you know out walking around like you or I um, and, and what we're looking at is, is sort of a combination of both that that schizophrenia spectrum we're calling them schizophrenia spectrum personality disorders these are your um, basically your cluster a personality disorders your paranoid your schizoid and your schizophrenia spectrum we've clumped them all together um, because there is evidence that they, they, they seem to be uh, related to schizophrenia, um, certainly genetically and, and, and in other ways. And, and, and some even pe- people even um, conceptualize them as, as perhaps the precursor for schizophrenia or, or the sort of prodromal schizophrenia. So we wanted to have a look at those folks and, 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 and particularly when you combine that condition with uh, another condition, antisocial personality disorder, and see if these folks are not um, perhaps different, either from antisocials alone or from schizophrenia spectrum alone.
0: Why in particular were you interested in this group, though?
1: Well, to, to be honest, um, what we're really going after here, there's there's a lot of evidence uh, indicating a relationship between schizophrenia and crime. Um, if you look at institutionalized populations, uh, populations in, in uh, incarcerated populations rather, um, folks in jail, there's, there's higher rates of psychosis and other schizophrenic disorders than in your normal population and if you look at uh, schizophrenic populations you tend to see more violence and criminal behavior. Um, now the, the literature seems somewhat transfixed on on reifying this relationship rather than moving forward and, and really having to look at if these folks are perhaps different, different from if you could call them normal schizophrenic individuals or, or normal antisocial individuals. And our hypotheses were really that these, this was actually a specific subset of individuals, a subset of antisocial individuals with schizophrenia spectrum uh, symptomatology that are different and perhaps on a biological level than either condition alone.
0: The other um, interesting aspect of this paper is that you're focusing on using a particular method, a particular technique to do with galvanic skin response. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Again, we, we were sort of searching for perhaps biological characteristics of this, uh, what we're calling a comorbid uh, group. Um, and, and one method that we use in our study here at USC is uh, psychophysiology and looking at um, electrodermal responses. Um, and electrodermal responses, of course, referring to, um, you know, sweat gland activity. Um, the amount of, of sweat in the actual uh, sweat gland duct rises and falls depending on the stimuli around you, and what, we're, what we look at specifically was what's called an orienting stimulus. When, when something new is added to uh, an environment of an organism, at least us as human beings, uh, we, we orient to that uh, stimulus and our bodies react to it, and typically what you'll see is a rise in the amount of sweat within the sweat duct. And so we thought we would have a look at that um, and see if we couldn't perhaps relate it to the comorbidity of, of the two conditions.
0: You're also positing in the paper a link between brain function and this galvanic skin response. Explain the link. Sure.
1: Uh, it turns out that this galvanic skin response is influenced, I would say, by by several different parts of the brain. One of one of the more um, interesting, as far as the work we do here, is the sort of the, the frontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex rather. Um, and we know that this area is certainly been implicated um, in the antisocial literature related to, you know, decision-making and binding, and, and the thought is that individuals who become antisocial have either, you know, malfunctioning uh, frontal prefrontal cortex or, or perhaps, you know, insufficient amount of material in those areas, and, and this uh, marker of skin conductance is, an, is a sort of a, an index of, of the functioning of that area. There's other areas as well, of course, it's, it's really a, a, a complicated sort of network certainly does get at that frontal cortex area.
0: And what do you think you can deduce about frontal lobe functioning from uh, this measure that you're using of galvanic skin response?
1: As far as using the galvanic skin response as a measure of orienting, you can certainly talk about it being an attentional marker, how well is this particular individual um, you know, attending to the environment, um, and this isn't even on a conscious level, really. We, we, this happens without us even thinking about it. And the thought is that, um, you know, certainly, as I mentioned before, with antisocial personality disorder, if this is an individual who is breaking the rules, who is tending to be somewhat impulsive and, and perhaps not learning from their actions, maybe what you're really looking at is is a malfunctioning prefrontal cortex. And there has been evidence or or studies that have indicated that you do see prefrontal and frontal deficits as well. And and we thought that this particular area might might may be sort of uh, common as far as deficits go to to both conditions, and and, and that we would see sort of significant reductions in activity, or, or you know, as measured sort of indirectly as we did here with the galvanic skin response, when you get both of these conditions
0: uh, existing together. Could you tell us a little bit about how you measure the galvanic skin response?
1: Sure, it's it's very very easy to do. Actually, you do it with electrodes, um, and. Um, Basically, what we do is we, we have the, the participants seated in a chair. They have an electrode, uh, two electrodes placed on the thumb and the forefinger, and this is actually pretty traditional. Um, they're wearing headphones, and we have a, what we call an orienting paradigm where they're presented with, via the headphones, a series of... Um, actually, overall, there's 10 stimuli. The first six are just plain tones. They're uh, 75 decibels, 1,000 hertz frequency, and we, we sort of... Um, Mix up the intervals in between these so they're not entirely predictable. We call these the um, the orienting stimuli, um, and then we gave them at the end four additional stimuli, um, which we called more meaningful. We we wanted to sort of um, create sounds that that might perhaps be sort of more relevant in in a social context. Maybe, maybe sounds you might hear more in a day to day. That if we. Um, were successful in this. We're not quite sure, but they, it essentially was a, a lower tone. There was a what we call a consonant vowel stimulus. It's basically the word "da" um, being said in, 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 a, in a computerized uh, synthesized voice. Uh, another louder tone, and then a blast of sort of static white noise burst. Um, and then, of course, a, a, as each of these stimuli is presented, we're recording the skin conductance response. What
0: were your findings?
1: Well, it's interesting. We, we, we wanted to look at overall, over the 10 oriented stimuli and then sort of break it down between the first six tones and then the, the last four meaningful. What we found is our, our, our comorbid group, when you look at the actual height of, of the response given with each stimuli, our comorbid group was down significantly from all three other groups. And we're talking about you know antisocial personality disorder alone, uh, schizophrenia spectrum disorder alone, and a group of controls who had no access to symptomatology. Certainly, in line with, with, with previous findings, we would expect you know all of the groups to be down from the normal controls, um, which they were. Um, but the fact that the the comorbid group was down significantly from, you know, certainly the schizophrenia spectrum individuals alone, and even the antisocial individuals alone, does indicate that you know th- there is they do appear to be a distinct you know, a distinct subgroup beyond either condition by themselves and it may possibly a biologically distinct subgroup.
0: what do you think the implications are of your findings?
1: Well, that's interesting. We thought um, that there might be three main areas that this information might be useful. It might help clarify previous findings related to both schizophrenia spectrum individuals and antisocial individuals separately. we seem as far as skin conductance go, we seem to find a, a mixed fag of results. when you look at antisocials, sometimes you see. Reduced or sometimes sort of exaggerated responses, and even within the schizophrenia literature, results have been sort of inconsistent and mixed, and maybe what 's happening here is um, the mixed results are re- the result of, of, of failing to account for perhaps comorbid antisociality when you look at schizophrenia uh, populations, or you know on the flip side, if you 're looking at antisocial populations, perhaps failure to account for schizophrenia spectrum will cause mixed results. So on a research level, we 're hoping that will help hopefully i uh, clarify things. Also from a treatment level, it, it might be if these individuals, these comorbid individuals, are biologically distinct. Certain medication regimens may not work with them um, and we certainly know that, that there you know, have been sort of inconsistent results with some of the medications um, and, and treatment programs used in schizophrenia, certainly with antisocial personality disorder. Perhaps taking this into account, we can develop programs specific to this subset of comorbid individuals that would be more effective in, in managing their symptoms. And then finally, um, from on a forensic level, if it turns out, like we found, that these comorbid, indiv- comorbid individuals actually report committing more uh, crimes than do all of the other groups, it might be that this group might need some special attention when it comes to um, management within correctional settings, perhaps with probation and parole requirements. This might be you know a, a group to take a look at and perhaps follow a little bit more closely.
0: What's next in the pipeline in terms of uh, research you're going to continue doing along this line?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. I've I've actually um, just completed a meta-analysis looking at the neuropsychological characteristics of antisocial schizophrenia, sort of pulling together all of the work that's been done in the literature so far and examining it together. And beyond that, leading into uh, my dissertation, I'll be looking at some of the biological and social characteristics of um, individuals with schizophrenia who commit homicide.
0: Robert Shug, thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you.